0: This episode of the Keen on Yoga podcast is sponsored by Moments, the booking system we use and highly recommend. Moments allows you to set up classes, workshops, courses, retreats, and appointments, either online, in-person, or hybrid. You can take payments using Stripe and PayPal, and the Zoom integration means that clients will automatically receive their link to join. It's easy for you and for your customers. Moments is great for solo teachers right up to studios with multiple sites. If you do run a studio, the staff payroll feature allows you to manage teacher payments and more. The robust reporting and time-saving automations will save you hours on admin. It really does take care of the whole business side for you. The excellent team at Moments will help you set up or migrate from any other system. And best of all, they offer real support via phone, live chat, and email. They really are there to help whenever you need them. Right now, Keen on Yoga listeners can get a free two-month trial for Moments. Click the link in the description below or visit keenonyoga.com forward slash moments, M-O-M-E-N-C-E, to sign up and give it a go. You'll be glad you did. If you have any questions about moments, feel free to drop us a line at info at keenonyoga.com or via message on any of our social channels. And now, on to the episode. So welcome, Day, to the Keenan Yoga Podcast. Thanks for coming back. And we spoke
1: maybe two years ago almost, so it's lovely to see you again.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah. Looking radiant as ever. Um, so how it was must have been, what twenty five years ago that you started practice probably, or something. You know, quite a while ago. You you probably don't remember anymore. But how did you, just just to update the readers or or refresh their memory? Yeah. You know, can you just give us a very brief overview of your trajectory with Ashtanga and practice? How you got into it? Blah blah blah.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I I started practicing in two thousand four, so it's been nineteen years almost, and um, I I guess I started just because I was having a quarter life crisis and uh, you quarter know, life. yeah, quarter life, I, you know, I was just finishing college and kind of intrigued and reading a lot about yoga and energy, chi. Um, I actually started out doing like qigong and then it um, was interesting, but like super not my speed. And I thought, <clears throat> well, you know, I, let, let's let do this yoga thing. So I, I started um, practicing and um, I went from practicing like once a week, a free class to practicing like twice a week and then twice a week turned into five times a week. And I just kind of got hooked, but I didn't get hooked because I fell in love with it. I got hooked because I was like, it was like a situation where I'm like afraid of myself. Like, I don't know you know, if I, if I don't spend this energy in this way, I might spend it in a more destructive way. (laughs) So it was kind of like a, an effort to save myself from myself kind of thing. And I was also feeling really, um, you know, lost and, and feeling really unhappy in my body, feeling really, um, for the first time after being really athletic for most of my life. And then I spent like way too many years in art school. And uh, I I just was missing this physical connection and I felt way too out of it for team sports and yoga seemed like the thing to do.
1: Mm -hmm. That's funny. I kind of got into it in a similar way. I did Tai Chi and then I thought, oh, that's, it's really slow, isn't it? Yeah. It seemed like there's something, <laughs> I needed something faster then. I then go back to it now, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is probably exactly. uh, made me more my speed now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, and obviously, um, you know, we, we met in Mysore when you were very much on programme and for many years, I think you were very much, you know, let's say within the traditional, in inverted commas, camp of Ashtanga and following the rules and you have to do this to do this and blah, 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 Um, you know, and I know that more recent times, what has interested me particularly with you is this sea change in in understanding of yoga and practice. How did that come about?
2: um Yeah. Okay. So let's kind of take this one step at a time. Number one, mm. I, I was I was definitely on board, and but I wouldn't call myself a rule follower. I'm not. I actually hate. You know, I've always been kind of the rebellious kind of fuck authority type, and Um, but it, but if you can change your dynamic and instead of being the person who's on the receiving end of, of authority and become a teacher and become an authority, then it's much, um, more tolerable to embrace the rules. And so that's where I found myself. Um, I was like, well, I guess I can deal with this kind of. Hi, this bureaucracy, this hierarchy of yoga, you know, yoga teacher, yoga guru. If I can become that, and so it was easier for me to embrace all the rules. Besides which, I was, like I said, I I came from a really athletic background, so I was used to having a coach. I was used to somebody talking to me, telling me what to do, more or less yelling at me, you know. <laughs> so I and I and it, yeah, and it, and that sort of that 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 speaks to me. And I think it speaks to a lot of people where you don't have an option. It's like run sprints. Okay. There's no argument. You you do it. So yeah, that's, I guess, how I found myself saying, okay, I guess I can embrace this, um, sort of these rules and this authority that was the Yota Shanga system, um, and why I was able to do it for so long. And, um, Mm you know i just really wanted to see myself kind of climbing the ladder and and doing what what a lot of people want to do but don't necessarily admit which is become authorized become certified become one of these the 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 select few people who actually have this piece of paper and say yeah i you know i did i did it well it's it's a little bit easier to accomplish that nowadays i think people i think they're handing out authorizations a lot easier but um
1: I think certification, I mean, on, on as a as a, a kind of random meandering as a, a sideline. I don't think certification's become necessarily easier though. I don't I still yeah. think it's at a premium, isn't it? You know, yeah. I don't yeah. see that as speed. Authorization seems to be too a penny now. It's like and who isn't authorized, but right. no, certification, because I also was really would have loved that, really. Yeah, you know, now, now now I'm not so bothered. I would never okay. get it now if have about seen any of my stuff.
3: Right, right. No, <laughs> for then, sure. You know,
1: Oh, but you know we all wanted it it's a bit of a golden ticket wasn't it you know it's like once you got that it's like you're kind of made it's like you're in the mafia you know right you're, right you're a boss. yeah for sure <laughs> you know?
2: absolutely absolutely um we could talk about some of the similarities between the mob and and <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so anyway i guess i was on that path and so i was um you know, just super hyper disciplined. I put all my energy, all my effort, all my eggs in one basket, so to speak, and was planning on going that route of of becoming certified. I had been practicing for nine years when I really suffered terrible back pain, terrible, terrible. And um, it was something that unlike any other pain or injury I experienced, it wasn't something that was, I I was going to be able to kind of work through. I I could see that if I I wanted to continue to live in this body and feel good and be healthy and feel fit and all the things that I really wanted from yoga, if I put aside the, the goal of becoming the certified Ashtanga teacher and what I really wanted, my initial goal was to feel good. And so mm. I was feeling terrible. <laughs> and so I um, I realized that I wouldn't be able to follow the system. I wouldn't be able to go through all of the third series postures when it comes to Viparita Salabasana and then all the horrible, horrendous backbends. That, that, yeah, right,
3: yeah. right. Fair, that occur- fair,
2: enough. fair enough. Right. And, and and that's like the worst. That That's what was on the horizon for me was you know i was getting i was dipping my toe into those third series backbends and i was doing tiktoks and all that stuff and i and i had i had it gotten to the point where it was like atrocious it, it was like kapotasna and in the second series backbends were enough i couldn't even i couldn't do that and so um i knew i couldn't even do an up dog i mean it, it got to the point where i couldn't move in that direction so I knew that I wasn't going to be able to 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 get through the the gateway postures as they're called. I wouldn't be able to yeah. go through the sequence, mm. the series in order to complete third series, get my 10 trips to to Mysore, which we all know <laughs> is unspoken, but we all know what it is, and and get the certification. So I knew
1: yeah.
2: that it yeah. wasn't gonna happen.
1: I could tell you. yeah. I could just couldn't go ten times to be honest. Just, yeah. just so tedious. I mean, yeah. like I did the advanced, you know, I completed completed that in the first few, but to go ten times, I mean, my god. Yeah, I was <laughs> close. I was close. Were you? You don't even that many times. So I, I, I I was there many, six times.
2: Course. By the sixth right. time, I was like, I'm out. <clears throat> but. Yeah.
1: i I wanted to ask you more seriously i mean you know because the other day i was at the gym to be honest and i was lifting i was lifting a weight right off the floor and then i felt that lower i felt a feeling on my around my lower sacrum i thought oh no that's really that's not a good you know it's not a good pain at all stop it immediately you know and and then i actually reflected a view and and your talk before about about your back pain and about upward dog and i actually wondered how that felt and how you knew that it wasn't a normal pain and that they, you had to stop, you yeah. know, like how that felt and how that felt during the day, you know, could you walk, a, you know, like how bad was it? You know,
2: there, yeah. there were days when I could not walk. Right. Not, not, not full days, but where I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't stand up straight. I just couldn't get up. Right. I just, mm. um, excruciating. I had days of excruciating right. pain. And then on the days that, I could walk in that I was functioning. I was still in pain. I was just able to move around, but I was I was experiencing a constant,
1: right, yeah,
2: chronic pain for not days months,
1: months. Uh, Whereabouts was that? Because people talk of back pain, but it's also quite ambiguous. Generally, right? It's like oh, back pain. But you know what I mean. Like, how did it manifest for you more specifically?
2: Yeah. So it was so this definitely like there are different types of back pain so it's mm, good idea mm. so it's good that we talk about it but it so it's it was in my lumbar region but muscular very close to the spine on my right side that but my entire right side was very very bad my left side was bad too but because the right side was so bad that's where i was really experiencing it so um whenever you have that lateral pain either right side or left side on your low back i would say that that's a very strong symptom of being an anterior pelvic tilter if you have pain in your actually right dead center right on your spine and you have a tendency to feel it more from uh, the, like the front side of your spine so it's it's kind of a a hard thing to locate that would be more because you're on the posterior pelvic tilting side here and, and you have too much fl- spinal flexion. So I definitely had the symptoms of of too much spinal extension. Um and I didn't know for a really long time I didn't know what to do about it other than the fact that I should probably stop doing some of these back bends. Um and I couldn't. I mean, I couldn't without pain. I could do it physically, mm-hmm. but there was pain there. So I, so anyway, I initially followed the kind of intuition of what's out there and did like what people do when they have back pain. In other words, they sit up straight, they have lumbar support. They, instead of, you know, slouching, you know, you you have that kind of ergonomic uh, or sit on the exercise ball or whatever it is so that you're always sitting up straight. And actually Mm. what I realized is that's more spinal extension. It's more muscle contraction. It's more muscle spasm. It's contributing to the pain. It's not helping it. It's, it's making it worse. And so I started to realize that the quote unquote cure for back pain that everybody sees out there is actually good for only a small percentage of the people who have too much spinal flexion, but the majority of people especially in yoga especially athletic people especially people weightlifting, um have an anterior pelvic tilt and too much spinal extension and they actually need to round their back and release it so mm.
1: just to th- clarify for the for the listeners yeah posterior and anterior tilt yeah just so, to make sure that we got this now right we carry so,
2: <clears> on. right that's a good thing so yeah. uh anterior pelvic tilts if you if you can imagine your pelvis as a bowl, so you think of the points of your pelvis being like the top of your pubic bone, your two hip bones, the iliac crest that you can kind of palpate in the front of just below your abdomen on either side above your thighs and then your sacrum. So if you can take those four dots and draw a circle around that, imagine that as the rim of a bowl. And if you were to take the contents of the bowl and tip them forward away from you, that's forward anterior pelvic tilt, meaning that your pubic bone drops and your tailbone lifts. If you take the contents of the bowl and you act or imagine that you're trying to take a sip from that bowl and you tilt it towards you, your tailbone drops and your pubic bone lifts. That's posterior pelvic tilt. That's what people say is tucking your tail. So if you have that as your, default neutral position ppt posterior pelvic tilt you will have an increased lumbar flexion if you have an anterior pelvic tilt as your default natural posture you will have an increased spinal extension so i hope that's clear so i have a
1: beautiful metaphor actually i love that bowl. I just, before you carry on, how long, I mean, you know, how long is this going on for this pain? Because I know a lot of people that are in pain for years. Yeah. And years. Because I know, and, and you, yeah. And you described it beautifully, the kind of dark night of the soul, as it were really, that you'd done this whole thing for so many years and invested all your eggs in this basket. And then it became more and more patently obvious that you just weren't able to continue anymore. Right. Or it's a choice, like, you know, like being able to walk or, or, you know,
2: just, you know, yeah. it, it's so toxic, the way that people, mm. in, including myself, the mentality that's wrapped up in this thing, because people think that, it, it, I, I don't know if it's just, I don't know, I, I it's just a human thing, I think, I don't know if it's a yoga thing, but people think that if you don't continue on with whatever your commitment is that you're, you're a quitter or you're a failure or, and there's so much for, for somebody who's so ambitious and so determined, this can be a mm. real m- mind fuck. It can be a real mm. uh, difficult thing to, to overcome for lack of better words. And, and really the, the issue is that, what I started to realize is that I'm not a quitter. If I continue with this thing that I was committing to, what I thought I was committing to, what I really was committing to was the idea of health and fitness and feeling good, and mm. being my best self. Mm. And yoga mm. was just a vehicle.
3: Mm.
2: I wasn't committed to the yoga, although there were times when that line blurred and I thought I was. And that was mm. the part that was very, very hard to read, to understand,
3: Mm. is
2: that I felt like I was committed to the yoga. I was committed to Ashtanga. My identity got wrapped up in it. I'm an Ashtangi. I'm an Ashtanga teacher. Mm. This is my life. This is my career. This is what I do. All those things. How could I be a quitter? How could I quit? But what I really understood was that I was choosing myself. You're, you're, You're not, if you continue to go to something, to stick with something like ashtanga or yoga or something outside of yourself then you're committed to the thing you're not committed to yourself you're committed to the thing and therefore the thing bears more weight more importance than you so I had to really separate myself from that identity and say ashtanga is not me I am not ashtanga I'm me and I had to say I commit to me I don't commit to this I commit to my health And that's, that took a long time of peeling away, you know, and, and modifying and learning how to move my body differently and then doing a ton of research and really digging deep and saying, what is, what do I really want? What's the goal? The goal is to be strong, fit, healthy, look good, feel good you know, be a nice person, be a good person, be all the things that yoga wants you to be in the world, which it certainly wasn't making me. I was a bitch. I was pissed off. I was irritable. I was in pain. I was,
3: you know, all those Mm, things. mm,
2: mm. Yoga wasn't doing that for me because I wasn't feeling healthy. I wasn't feeling fit. I was feeling bitchy, nasty, irritable, awful person. So I really had to say, okay, just because there's this practice called a Shangha yoga, just because there's this thing, doesn't necessarily equate with what we think are the results that we want. Mm. You really have to separate that. And I know, and I really honestly feel like my mission in this world at this point in my life is to help people kind of remove themselves from that, from from breaking free, from breaking away from something that is hurting them ultimately and um, and giving an alternative. A happier, stronger alternative,
3: right?
1: So your mission is kind of rescuing people from from yeah. the cult of Ashtanga.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's my mission. Yeah, and and there's but no how, way you can do that. At least for me, there's no way that I could. I how would I? How could I possibly do that unless I knew it? I, I've been there. I know it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: So yeah, that's how. Good.
1: How yeah? How long does that take? And how did it go? How you know the steps of of re. Reimagining a practice because obviously it's so easy right you've got this practice you know it so well you do it every day and then it's like well what are you left with i mean you told me last time you don't really do upward dog anymore right so i mean yeah. it, right so i mean the practice of yoga is very different to you now i mean how did this go and how did you learn how to do what you do now and what do you do now
3: very very many
1: questions but, there Yeah, yeah
3: yeah
2: <laughs> incredibly long slow process that I went through because I was discovering it as I went and so what it looked like initially was removing sections of the practice so I right. was continuing the practice but I, re- I I for instance I started my second series at Vakasana I skipped all of the posture, you know, every, you know, all of us are done, you or whatever, uttra, all, the
1: all parts, that yeah, yeah.
2: gone. Yeah. And I started second series at, at the And I went through second series. If I was doing second series, I did third series, but I stopped right at the, you know, at, at and Andrasana, right at the twist, that would be my third series practice. And, um, and then I would do primary. So that that's what my practice looked like was that I was just removing sections and doing the, the sections that felt therapeutic to me, that felt like I was getting more rounding in my back. I was releasing some of those tight muscles, which took me some time even to figure that out. I, you know, mm. initially I, I was going for the back supports and sitting up straight and not rounding my back at all. And then I started to understand, yeah, the rounding actually is feeling good. I'm starting to release it. Initially it was incredibly painful because it's, it's painful to release tight muscles, just like if somebody has tight hamstrings and they stretch their hamstring, it's uncomfortable. So I had mm. to go through kind of a period of, of recognizing this is, this is actually feeling good and not bad. <laughs> so that took some time. And then eventually I, I removed up dog. So I, I was just doing, you know, I would jump back and do, instead of, a Chaturanga up dog, I would do Chaturanga to a push up to down dog, no up dog. So up dog was removed. Then I started
1: chronologically. How long did this take now? So, you know, in terms of time, because I saw you maybe 2015 in Mysore around that time, two, four, you were still doing the practice, right? So, yeah, my last trip
2: was 2016. I was, yeah, I was when I was in Mysore, of course, I was faking it a lot more. I was doing a lot more than I would do on my own at home you know, because I'm in front of Sherrod doing, you know, doing what's expected of me. Although Sherrod at that time was aware that I had some serious back pain that I had been carrying with me for three years. So it was 2013. I hurt my back. 2016 was my last trip. I was going through the motions. I was not doing kapalitasana. I was not catching in Kaplatasana. I was just doing like Kaplatasana B, which was still awful to do. So it, it took years for me to Really let go, you know, but again, on my own, doing just those sections of the practice, I that's probably about where I was three years later. And then I started again not doing up dog. And then I what what was a really big switch for me was that I'll give you an example. So let's say that your your goal is to stretch your hip flexors. And you can do two things. You can do a split, which is a, oh, wow, beautiful split, you know, third series asana, Hanuman asana, whatever. Big, nice, beautiful pose, picture worthy. But what happens a lot of times when people do a split is that they wind up leaning a little bit to the side, right? So they're they're kind of cheating the hip Mm, extension on that back leg because as we know, it's difficult and so you just kind of cheat it a little bit. There's little compensations and little things that happen. Or you can do a low lunge and you can do a strong posterior pelvic tilt, you know, and and engage your back leg glutes and you can do like a a stretch on the wall or or the lunge. Now what's more effective at at the end the goal which is stretching your hip flexors or getting hip extension. Is it doing the split, which is the ah type pose, or is it doing the low lunge, which is simple and effective? So then I started saying, okay, I'm getting more benefit out of doing very, very simple movements. Why am I bothering to complicate this with, you know, I I feel great doing Sasana. Why am I complicating Hmm. it with putting my leg behind my head as well? Why am I complicating it? Like I'm able to get essentially at the heart of what I'm trying to achieve doing much simpler things than doing these ridiculous, complicated asanas that actually you wind up with a lot of compensation and a lot of other issues that go on. You think you're doing one thing, but you're actually doing a whole lot of other bullshit. So then I really started to say, okay, well, there's three really good asanas that I can take out of this. Jhanushasana, wide wide stance Jhanushasana, a, a modified Navasana, which is more like a hollow body position and, and a, a rounded back Pashimatanasana or forward bend. Those were the three asanas that I felt were valuable, seated asanas that I felt were valuable. Mm. At the end of, again, years and years and years of stripping it back down, And taking a look and seeing what do I, this is actually what I need. This is actually therapeutic. This is actually the most effective, most efficient kind of, you know, draw a line between A and B. (laughs) That's it. Mm -hmm. So those, those were the poses that I kind of did. And I just kept doing them on repeat and I kept the jump backs. I kept jumping back, jumping through, jumping back, jumping. Right. I like the Just vinyasa. keeping
1: doing those three postures pretty with much. the vinyasa.
2: Cycling through. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Cycling how did, mm-hmm.
1: how did this affect your kind of feeling of yourself as a teacher and what you were teaching, right? Because oh, I obviously, was... yeah, you're not doing Ashtanga anymore as such, but you're still teaching totally. it. And how do you totally. visit your identity as a totally. teacher? Totally. Yeah.
2: Absolutely zero integrity there because I was hiding. So I was doing right. a practice that was super. You know, it was similar, I was doing jump backs, I was doing jump throughs, I was doing a couple of the postures in a very modified way, uh, blah, blah, blah. But then I would go and I would teach my sore practice. And so one of the things that was really a tipping point for me was that I had a girl who was a former gymnast. You know, we've all had them, a former dancer, former (laughs) gymnast, whatever who came into my, into my class and into the Mysore room and was very, very capable. Like within the first few days was doing full primary series type thing. And, um, and I'm one of the people who was like, oh, memorize this, do this, do this. She knew it. She got it. She was doing it all. And she saw somebody who has been practicing for many, many years doing TikToks or doing Scorpion, doing something. She's like, oh, can I do that? And I was like, well, do you know how? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, well, that, you know, if you can do it, go ahead and do it. So she started doing it because it was in her background. She was doing TikToks and all this stuff, being only in the class for a couple weeks. Long story short, I stopped seeing her. Then see Two weeks go by, three weeks go by. This is a girl who suddenly came out of nowhere, was showing up every day, every day, every day. And then mm. she, then she stopped showing up. After a few weeks, I saw her again. She kind of comes into the room almost with her head down, tail between her legs. And I'm like, hey, where have you been? And she's like, oh, I just had so much back pain. I couldn't, couldn't move. I, I didn't feel like I can come in and do the practice. You know, I was like, God damn it. Here we go again.
3: We're, <laughs> you know, mm.
2: it, what's the yoga for? The yoga is to feel good, not bad. So I said, listen, I'm going to show you what I do. So I started, this was the first person that I actually taught what I was practicing. Rounded back, wide stance, Janusrasasana, hollow bodies instead of Navasanas, jump backs, jump throughs. Let's work on strength. Let's work on that kind of, you know, that graceful element of moving, but let's Get rid of the back bends and get rid of all this other bullshit, all these other postures, and let's work on something that's going to make your back feel good, and still feel mm. and still feel empowered. You know, this girl. If you want to do a handstand, do a handstand. You want to do a jump through, do a jump through. It's not going to hurt your back. What's hurting your back is doing the the back bends and the TikToks and the grabbing the ankles and all this scorpion and all that stuff. So when she started doing that, she said, "Yeah, okay." couple days. Yeah. yeah, That feels good. That feels better. Okay. So then it started happening more and more, more people were saying, okay, yeah, I have back pain too. Okay. Let me show you this. So I just started teaching
3: little Mm. by little
2: by little. And then, you know, as we all did, we had the curse and the blessing of 2020 and, you know, a pandemic and everything shutting down. And that was, that was it. That was the freedom. That's where I could finally say, you know what, I'm not a Mysore teacher. I'm not attached to a studio. I'm not attached to a style. I'm not attached to any of this stuff. I'm gonna teach what works. I really dug deep. I started teaching my quote unquote, my truth of (laughs) let's do do a strong practice. You wanna do handstands, go nuts. Let's work on doing a, a stronger, more athletic practice that is completely eliminating these deep yoga asanas that I find have been more harmful
1: than beneficial mm. you, you still call it a practice though so you're, you're still suggesting that it's yoga or is it something different i mean how do you i mean people get very attached with the yoga and they rightly or wrongly insert the spiritual into the asana you know how does that all transpire for you now or are you, you know how do you feel about what you're teaching has it got any other relevance apart from just getting strong or you know yeah right well the yoga connected with vinyasa. How is yeah. the vinyasa connected? Is that relevant yeah. to you? What are the take homes of Mysore that you bring now?
2: I don't use any Sanskrit words in my right. in my quote unquote practice. Old habits of calling it practice die hard. But when I write about it, I generally write about training, athletic training. Right. Um I haven't dropped the word yoga from my name, day one yoga. Um I still believe in yoga. <laughs> I believe in the idea of yoga, but just because the the yoga again doesn't mean yoga is not equal to doing deep yoga asanas. That's 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 a modern invention that people like to call tradition. So that's not what yoga is to me anymore. And so I I really went back and forth on keeping the name Day One Yoga. Should I just be day mm. one? Should I just be the day one method? I, you know, I didn't know um, because I knew that I was going to get a lot of quote unquote yoga people who are like, hey, that's not yoga. Well, to me it is. But I don't have Sanskrit. I don't have asanas. I don't have vinyasas. I don't have that anymore. Mm. So it, it is sort of it. So why is, the, still,
1: why is it still yoga?
2: If, if you're connected to a moment if you're focused, if you're, you know, that that connection. Anytime, you know, what's yoga mean? What's yo- yoga is union. What what's the point? Self realization, understanding that there's no separation between me, between you. You can do that in so many ways, and we're all trying to get at that. You know, I don't know if anybody is necessarily actively practicing yoga. The same way, I don't know that anybody actively meditates. If you look at the the eight limbs of yoga, Ashtanga yoga, Raja yoga, Patanjali yoga, whatever you want to call it. If you look at the eight limbs of yoga, the first four limbs are external things that you do. I do asana. I do pranayama. I follow the yamas. I follow the niyamas. But if you look at the last four limbs, they're not things you do they're outside in, they're things that happen as a result of the first four. So you don't go and practice, you don't say I, I'm going to go practice Pratyahara now, I'm going to go practice Dharana now, I'm going to go practice Dhyana or meditation now. It, bo- it bothers me a little bit when people say that I meditate. Do you? Because meditation happens it's, it's a, it's luck. It's like, Oh, it's a gift. You can create an environment. You can create circumstances where meditation happens, but it's not something you can just go, I'm going to sit down and meditate now. Mm. So that's my understanding. That's my personal, mm. take. the same way that you can't, uh, Oh, I I've reached Samadhi. I'm going to go reach Samadhi today. You know, and I think and- as you
1: rightly point out, if you, you're comfortable in your body and you're you know you're feeling healthy and you know and you're feeling good that's definitely a more reasonable you know kind of fertile ground you know to to go and do anything else rather than just limping around in pain you know because you feel that you ought to stick to a certain sequence i mean along those lines you talk a lot about the strength and you know increasingly it seems to me that most people are, are developing an over flexible practice in terms of a passive kind of stretch yeah, you know, practice with, with yoga generally in Ashtanga. And this is where a lot of the injuries are coming from. And you talk mainly when I see you online and what you're doing, it's a lot of strength-based stuff. So how would you talk about the paradigm of flexibility and strength in what you do and, and around yoga practice?
3: Well, gosh,
2: it's, it's so complicated to talk mm. about stretching because I, I stretch, I offer a class called stretchletic. Okay. So I stretch, I'm not anti-stretching, but I'm anti the way people stretch. So it's not necessarily what you do, but how you do it. So I like the idea of stretching, but understand that stretching is within a limit. There's a limitation. The limitation is your range of motion. And the range of motion is determined by your joints, by your joint function. So when you do, especially dealing with back bending, when you do incredibly deep back bending over and over and over again, five six days a week, there's three things that have to happen primarily to do a back You have to have hip extension, you have to have spinal extension, and you have to have shoulder flexion, arm overhead. So, fair enough. Yeah. If if all three of those things are operating. You know, equal parts, one third hip extension, one third spinal extension, one third shoulder flexion. Theoretically, you should have a quote unquote safe backline. But what happens for most people, especially when they're going pushing, 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 deep, 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 deeper, 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 catching all this, is that, well, especially for anterior pelvic tilters, hip extension is very poor. So you can have a range of natural range of motion of hip extension anywhere from five to 20 degrees. Mine is definitely on five or, or less. So I don't have great hip extension. It, there's another person who might not have great shoulder flexion. So what they do instead is they might do a combination of abduction and external rotation and upward rotation of the scapula because they don't have great shoulder flexion. So their arm is going to move in such a way that they're quote unquote compensating. They can't get that shoulder flexion. And so what's going to get the area that's not a hard, fast joint, like your elbow joint or your knee joint, but your spine, which has these, you know, cushions of liquid in between each vertebra and that Mm. there there's a give. So even though your spine goes into about 25 degrees of extension, that's max. And that's for everybody that's a universal number so it's not like oh some people are flexible and some people aren't everybody's lumbar spine, unless there's some kind of issue or injury. goes into 25 degrees of extension, but if your shoulder isn't going into flexion 180 degrees and your hip isn't going into extension 20 degrees. Then where's the give? The give is in the spine, because again you have those cushions of discs. You have, you have that spinal fluid that gives you that little bit of wiggle room. And so you're, you can keep bending deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper deeper in your back over time. That's going to cause structural damage. It's going to cause issues. You're going to wind up with bulging, herniations, degeneration, potentially even fusion of the discs. Now that's not even the bad part. The bad part is the muscular legacy because your spinal extensors in meanwhile are getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. So while you may herniate a disc and while it may or may not cause you pain, that pain will eventually deteriorate as your spinal fluid dries up. So as as the, the disc herniates, it ruptures, the spinal fluid leaks out, it's not touching a nerve or maybe it is, but as soon as that spinal fluid dries up, there's no pain from the disc herniation. In fact, many people have herniated discs. And they're walking around, they don't even know it. So mm. so the problem physically in terms of pain or not pain is typically speaking, not even due to the herniation, it's due to the muscular issue that's surrounding it. So that's that's an issue. That's the problem is that people are pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing beyond their natural range of motion. That's one problem. The second problem with stretching is that people don't understand the relationship between that one muscle affects another. So the the metaphor, the example or analogy that I always use is biceps, triceps. So if you want to stretch your bicep, you must contract your tricep and then your bicep stretches. Now I can't Mm. force my elbow to go into deeper and deeper and deeper extension. Right. It's just, it is what Mm. it is. It goes as far as it goes. But the best way to stretch a muscle is to focus on contracting its opposite. Mm. So most people don't do that, which is why there are so many yogis walking around with hamstring injuries constantly and re injuring and re injuring and re injuring is because they're stretching, they're putting themselves in a quote unquote position, forward bend, deeper, deeper, face to legs with no connection to they think they're doing it, but they're not engaging the quads. So anyway, those are the two big problems with stretching and with doing deep asanas is one people go beyond their natural range, especially when it comes to spinal movements, shoulder movements, and hip movements, because that's where there's, those are the joints where there's leeway. So I know a lot Mm. of people with torn labrum, torn labrum in their arm or torn labrum in their hip. And then of course the spinal issues. The second problem is that there's no understanding, no connection with that muscles have agonists and antagonists, and that when one turns on, the other must turn off, and that's essentially stretching. So there's an intelligence... That's
1: a very different paradigm from from flexibility isn't it because people don't usually look at that as flexibility at all right as you as you well mentioned that idea of just pushing forward pancake you know oh. we envisage hanuman asana just stretching as far forward as you can without any understanding that it's a kind of you've got to try try and create a, what i call a right tension you know a tension between opposites right, right. And, and you know and before and i'll just get in the fact that you rightly point out is that it might feel fine for, I and mean, this is the tricky thing, is for some people, it might feel fine for a number of years, and you you don't want to be the one that rains on the parade and says, look, you know, like this feels great for you now and you obviously you get this kind of endorphin rush when you're doing this kind of like whoa you know and it's like well you know that feels good now but you know we'll, we don't know how it's going to be in the future and maybe you're just one of those lucky ones do you know what I mean it's always going to be fine and then it's just not like me who's the naysayer but for a lot of people it's like well now it feels fine but envisage this 10-15 years later you've got no spinal fluid left you've worn out that joint and now come back to me you know you don't yeah. want to be that one that says that exactly but it's a tricky thing as a teacher to kind of straddle that line of of, of over conscientiousness and, and and introducing fear-based uh, language and mentality and I told you so kind of stuff and trying to get someone to stretch in a more you know kind of efficient way as such you know that will bear them good for the for the whole life you know right
2: right so the emphasis is on strength training to really focus on those antagonist muscles in other words, go back to hamstrings and quads and really focus on strengthening your quads. That's your primary focus strengthening your quads is connecting with that strength um, or hip extension, strengthening your glutes. That's another no-no in yoga. Relax your butt, mm. relax your butt. Or, or if you're in the UK, relax your bum. You know, so that, that's, that's goofy. It's totally goofy you have to make sure that you're always working on consciously contracting the antagonist muscle of whatever you're trying to stretch. That's that's the primary. Mm. So that's maybe, uh, I'm misusing the, the, the definitions of the words, but there's the difference between then flexibility and mobility. Mobility mm. is the ability to move in the full range of motion of the joint, of whatever joint we're talking about with strength. And flexibility is being able to move through your range full range without strength. And so a good example of that cuz maybe people are saying, well how I don't understand quite how that, that how I don't understand quite how that fits. And a good example of that is a pistol squat. So many yogis can can go from standing and bend their knee, one leg forward, bend their knee and come into a single leg squat. And what do you wind up with? You wind up with Marichasna A, right? That's a pistol squat position. So yogis, including myself for many, 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 many years have the flexibility of a pistol squat, but we don't have the mobility of a pistol squat, meaning that we can go down, but you'll be damned if you can't get back up because there's no strength. There's no strength in the quad. There's no strength in that glute. So you have the range of motion. Yes, that's there, but you don't have the strength. So Mm. so if you had to say, okay, here's two sides, strength is on one side, flexibility is on the other, mobility is in the middle, mobility is both. It's having strength in your full range of motion. You have the flexibility, you have the strength, you have both. So that's the primary focus whenever there are quote unquote range of motion issues is to always deal with the, the, the muscular side, the strength side.
1: So I could pin you down and say like for someone who has experienced no pain whatsoever and you know is sailing through a primary series quite fine. It, is there enough strength building stuff there? you know, in the asana or, you know, I mean, for someone who's able to do it and there's no problems right now, you know, or do they need to, would you say they need to concentrate on building strength? I mean, you know, because Mary Chastner A, for example, does not really, I mean, I would like to say like, you know, if you get it right and you push the leg forward instead of pulling that knee back, you know, you're building a little bit of flexibility in the thigh, perhaps in the quadriceps, in the soliaris, you know, but you're not really developing the strength there to come up for a pistol squat, right? right? And you'll never get that. Right. right? Yeah. And you'll just never. like, as I would like to, I'd like to say that, you know, oh, you know, if you get your Chaturanga right, it'll help you with the handstands or help you with the arm bounces, you know. I, you know, if I'm patently honest, I've never just done Chaturanga, right? You know, to get myself to a degree of strength that I needed for the arm balances and not coming from a particularly strength-based background or, f- or physique, yeah. I, you know, I didn't just do Chaturanga, right? You know, right I did right. a lot of push-ups and a lot of other stuff. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, it's it it depends if, you know, to go back to your question, say, is a shangha primary series, let's say, enough? For strength building and mm. the answer is generally no it's not enough but then <laughs> but the, but i'll 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 qualify that and say but it also depends on the personality of the of the practitioner it depends on the per you know do they have an awareness do they are they are are they oriented to remain curious and strong or are they just interested in copying the the postures copying what it looks like what the shape should be essentially and just kind of moving in a in a you know whatever way gets me there i'll do it type of thing which is what most people do so there is certainly an element of strength i developed a lot of my upper body strength from doing jump backs and jump throughs but for the for the vast majority of people who are practicing anything that looks like a shala primary series most practitioners and most teachers are overlooking that upper body portion of jumping through and jumping back, and even discouraging or dismissing it. I got a lot, a lot, a lot of flack any time that I spent too long on my hands. Oh, you're on your hands. Oh, you're in handstand. Oh, why you? Ju- what? Oh, you're showing off. Oh, you're competitive. Oh, you're this. And for me, it was. I wasn't trying to compete with anyone. I was just trying to get get better, feel better for myself. But there was a lot of negativity Mm. from being one of the only people who was doing that. Oh, you're making the others feel bad. Well, is that my fault or their fault? Is that your fault or my fault? I mean, you know, it it gets a little bit weird. Uh, depending, and the
1: funny thing is that it wasn't originally like that either. That, no, you know, of course, in, in, of course. Bhatobi Joyce, Bhatobi Joyce actually encouraged people originally to do a yeah. lot more handstands. He was really quite into that. And then latterly, this kind of frowning upon handstands and this kind of thing became more and more ingrained in the yeah. the Ashtanga kind of politic. Um, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now, what I was going to say there, and a more serious point is, aren't you in a catch twenty two situation if you can't get the the, the, uh, if you can't get the feeling and you can't access the 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 strength of the jump back jump through, what do you do? Because obviously you're using that jump back jump through to get stronger. But if you can't get there, you obviously can't get the work to get stronger, and you're in this kind of double bind.
2: That's right. right. So what do you do in, You in the can't do cases? what you can't do, right?
1: Yeah. Right.
2: So exactly. So for me, luckily, I have you know maybe a slight. Uh, Ability to build muscle and build strength and adapt a little bit easier. And I was able to achieve the jump back relatively early on in my practice, but most people I know definitely were not. So what do you do for the people who are continuing to try to practice this way? You have to have, you have to have the ability to analyze the movement and break it down and then practice each individual component of whatever movement you're trying to achieve. So a jump back, the way that I see it is actually four movements. It's lifting your butt off of the floor, then it's trading positions between your hip and your head. So getting your hip higher than your head, which is essentially what I call a lat lift and a serratus lift, sort of like doing an L-sit. Okay, so an L-sit, but without, necessarily having to lift your feet off the ground, getting your hip high enough, then being able to do a pike push-up motion, being able to bend your elbows while still maintaining your weight in your hands, essentially, and then being able to unfold in a push-up. So taking each one of those elements, can you work on each one of those elements? Is lifting your butt off the floor with a set of blocks or parallel bars under your hands feasible? And for many people, the answer is yes. So then yes, work on that. Is it possible to work in a much bigger way and try to lift your hips higher on that same block or parallel bars? And the answer for many people is, well, yes, maybe ish, it's not that great, but yes, I can start moving that direction. And then the answer is yes, keep doing that. And then the next piece would be, well, is it possible for me to do a pike push-up? Well, yes, you can probably do a pike push-up. If you can't do a pike push-up, then you can probably do pike push-up negatives and just go in a downward direction. So you can go from down dog to tripod position. So then you do that. And can you then do push-ups? And if the answer is, well, I can't do a push-up. Well, you can do incline push-ups. You can use a bench or a countertop and do incline push-ups, or you can do push-up negatives. And you can build the strength in each element And then eventually put the thing together and be Mm. able to do it. So then it goes back to the question of, well, do you do a split or do you do a low lunge? Mm. So it depends on your purpose, you know, and and, and what particular goals you have. But is there a way to break down any strength movement? Yes. you can absolutely break it down, scale it down and work on Mm. simpler elements of it.
1: I think you strike upon a good thing there because a lot of the I kind of see a lot of the yoga movements as shorthand really like kind of a general sh- because there's so many things going at the same time it's like it's a compound movement involved, like with a jump back involving a whole bunch of different things and as you say it's like it's really quite complicated and, and some of the basic more kind of let's call them functional training or gym movements which are just simply one movement at a time are very helpful because then you kind of access okay i'm doing that with that muscle rather than the you know this jump back which is like well you're going through this whole range of different muscles here right first you're using a certain group of muscle then you're changing it you're doing a different thing and it's like you know very very hard to grasp so you know to grasp something is always easier break it down can you flex your bicep yes okay right like okay. can you you know right you're right i mean everyone could do that right, right. then so like well can you use your deltoid a bit and yes. can you you know so you right. get one by one rather than this introducing like before you've even learned to read and write introducing a whole shorthand script you know which exactly. which goes back to the idea of pre-yoga but you know but you know a lot of people are unattracted to this idea obviously because it doesn't have the 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 seeming spiritual in, in, inserted in it, right? So, yeah. and I think this is what grabs a lot of people, and it may have grabbed you, right? This idea of Mysore, the myth of the whole Ashtanga tradition. You got, you know, before obviously Patabi Joyce fell seriously out of favour. You had him there, you know. You had Shrirat, you know. You had this whole thing, you know. I mean, where? So how how do you find the how do you encourage or talk about the motivation now? whereas before you maybe would have had the photos at the front and it would have been this tradition that we're buying into that we feel supported by. Yeah. Is there anything in that that you, you would take take away and again, bring to what you're doing currently?
2: Yeah. I mean, um, it's a good question because I know that there is an argument for that. Of course, I, I don't feel any conflict in, in, for myself personally with that. I feel very just as spiritual now, if not more so than I was then, but. For others, yeah. But again, I, I would say there's there's a thing about the spirituality or the commitment and, and placing it on an object or a concept or a thing that's outside of yourself versus something that's inside of yourself. So if you can remain true to what's inside of you, then you can have a spiritual experience, you know, going to a spin class. I mean, why not? You can have a spiritual experience and 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 I, I mm. can't imagine any yoga person disagreeing with me. You can have a spiritual experience walking in the woods or going 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 for a swim or riding your bike or whatever, whatever it is. So, mm. you know, for me, try to my advice to anybody who would be struggling with that would be mm. try to find the beauty try and, and find the, the 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 spiritual aspect of every living moment and and if you find joy that's the spiritualism <laughs> that's it mm. you know the mm. joy of improving the joy of getting stronger mm. the, the spirituality of of connecting with yourself of taking the time of focusing mm. of breathing whatever whatever it is
1: yeah and as you say the, the the quickest way to obstruct that is to just feel like like in pain and, and suffering whilst doing what you feel you ought to be doing right and it just feels seriously conflicted and i think so many people have suffered through that conflict so that's why i think you you giving voice to that is is very pertinent and very relevant i want to ask you three uh, questions about the three fundamental um words that we hear in yoga and how you would translate into what you're currently doing vinyasa bunda and breathing
2: yikes I don't do I don't I, you wow I don't I don't teach or follow any of those things never did never did I ever quote unquote worry about bondas to me that was like a load of bull from the beginning um and I knew that because I was never consciously engaging my bondas and I was jumping back while others who were consciously engaging their bondas were not getting anywhere so I it's. From the very beginning, that was that was something that never held true for me. Um, and I could probably go into a little bit more depth about the banda issue, but
1: after- oh, briefly, yeah, yeah, do um, so- I think it's relevant? I mean, because I think most people, what you say when people say engaging their banda is what you or what people generally feel is the pulling in of the, the lower abdomen, you know, to the main part, which is mainly a kind of abdominal kind of squeeze, right? But I don't see that as banda, and I'm sure you were engaging something to jump back. Right, so but it was my lat, might... my ex. Right.
2: The the banda thing that's the that's the that's the problem is that it's a big confusion. Number one is yeah. people. What is it? Is it an abdominal? Is it a is it a suction? Mm. Is it, it banda, or is it a contraction mm. where where in, in other words the way that you would brace your abdomen if you were getting kind of punched? Or mm. is it or is it mula banda, which is could it be a contraction of the anus or the perineum or? Mm. Or, or, or what?
3: Hmm.
2: So <clears throat> they, they, there's also been i'm I'm fairly certain a few studies done about overly engaging the the quote unquote mula bundle or or doing the kegels uh, that hmm. it actually weakened the thing and caused more problems the more that you're quote unquote, consciously trying. I've to heard that yeah, yeah, so there's there's a whole host of problems. i I truly think that. These types of bandhas, mula bandha, uddhyana bandha, that we've read about, learned about through oral tradition and written tradition, was really originally meant for pranayama, which I am no expert on. So if you're going to do these, quote unquote, breath retentions, kumbhakas, whatever, then you are to engage these bandhas, which would certainly help you retain your breath. But while you're doing a moving practice, that is not, or even just doing an asana where you're holding for five breaths, doing that over-engagement, over-consciousness of of a muscle that is already meant to be engaged essentially 100% of the time, unless you're using the bathroom, the muscle's engaged. It's in a tight, contracted position. The only time Mm. it's not, is when you're urinating or defecating this. So you do not have to go out of your way to engage a muscle mm. that's already engaged. Mm. It's like you're contracting a contraction, essentially. You're creating a spasm. Mm. So mm. <clears throat> that's my take on this. And, and the way that I find it seeped into the context of what was... Then called hatha yoga or asana yoga or whatever was, I think, a, a, a misuse of the word of the practice, uh, and oftentimes an excuse or or a tool that was used as a manipulation. That was one of what wasn't that the famous adjustment of Patabi Joyce was a mula Bandha adjustment on, you know. So, yeah,
1: we- and also to obviously generally obfuscate, you know, to kind of. make the the whole thing murky so it's like well you know I know bunders as a teacher but I can't explain them because they're kind of mythical and you're going to have to come to me more so we can somehow osmosis by osmosis you'll get that idea but I can't actually kind of give it to you because you just have to hang around me as long enough that that somehow it'll rub off on you you know so you know it's very manipulative and and much more kind of insidious in a way than well I mean obviously that was a terrible adjustment but you know they carried on you know more ways than one let's say how does that relate to the, I mean, I talk a lot about diaphragmatic breathing and the importance of the diaphragm as, you know, there's something you might utilize and how that, you know, if you kind of pull your abdomen in, then, well, whether you believe in the diaphragmatic breath or not, you you can't really breathe like that, right? Right. So how on, on the second uh, question, how would you relate the, the breathing to what you do? Do you talk about breathing at all?
2: Uh, not at all not at all
1: right if you're going to
2: do a breathing practice in my opinion then do a conscious breathing practice and a good place to do that would be sitting down or in the the cold plunge also sitting down those would be great places to work on talk
1: about a handstand when you're breathing inhale or exhale you don't use the breath at all in what you're doing
2: no but that just because i don't say Mm. I don't give breathing cues does not mean that people mm. aren't breathing. They're breathing. They're breathing intuitively. Mm. And that's what I think right. is really important is intuitive breathing okay. through movement. Right. So mm. a lot of things in uh, that I've heard in my almost 20 years of doing conventional yoga with teachers kind of in and out of my ear is that you should never hold your breath. But that's actually like, oh, you don't hold your breath. Oh, oh keep breathing. But if you were to do something like, let's say that you're doing down dog and you're gonna do jump forward. Well, if you jump and you're trying to let's say float or suspend your movement and land softly, you know, the way the greats do it, you know, the mm. the the David Swenson's and, and the Lino Miele and the beautiful practitioners that we've seen just kind of, you know, Richard Freeman, just kind of landing their feet between their hands like a feather. Well, how did they do that? I can tell you right now, they're not breathing. They're suspending the breath. And the reason why they're suspending the breath is because they're trying to suspend movement. So there's an intuition in that. If you are doing something like a press-up, the same way that you would do a deadlift, there's a moment when you maybe exhale partially, maybe not fully, and brace and then do the deadlift.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: And there's a lot of that yeah. in, in heavy lifting, Olympic weightlifting yeah. and things like yeah. that. You yeah. stop, I mean, pause, and you suspend. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Same with, yeah. yeah, Same with a press-up, same with a forward jump where you're trying to suspend that movement. So, but do I have to coach that? No, because people are doing it. They're doing it. If they're not doing it, if they're they're trying to breathe and breathe and breathe and breathe, they're not moving, quote unquote, softly. They're not floating. And they're most likely not pressing up. They're failing at it, which is okay. That's part of the learning process. But it's 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 another complication. I'm so busy talking about muscle engagement technique and moving your body in hmm. such a way, let's deal with the physical, let's deal with things that we could touch and see. And <clears throat> I'm gonna hope that the breath goes along for the ride, which I believe in our infinite intelligence that it will.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I I mainly, I mean, a lot of that I agree with. I, I think there is a role for the diaphragm as a muscle in in terms of how it can affect the rest of the body. Um, but I, I agree with a lot of it. And I mean, I always go back to the story that I invited this one guy. You'll know, you know who it is. I'm not going to say who it is. Over for lunch, right, in my soul. And um, I was picking his brains. How do you do that stuff? How do you do that? How, when you're lifting up to those handstands like that, how, what are you breathing? on the inhaler exhale says, I don't breathe at all. I don't breathe. <laughs> hilarious. I thought it was hilarious at the time because in the yoga, people are always saying, oh, you should get like a metronome. Did you get a metronome? Someone asked me the other day and make sure the breath is equal in all times. Should it be equal at all times of practice? I said, oh, that's ridiculous as an idea. I mean, it's the, again, it's the quasi-spiritual being inserted into something where it doesn't belong. This idea that everything should be the same all the time, that everything should be peaceful all the time. It's like, well, yes and no, but life isn't like that. Like like life is sometimes dynamic and it shouldn't be exactly peaceful. And sometimes life is peaceful. And same with the asana. It's like, you know, sometimes if you're trying to do something dynamic, your breath isn't going to be relaxed like you're doing a forward fold and that was a ridiculous proposition to to have the idea that you but as you said it teaches in and out of your ear that yeah. the breath should always be kept the same or the uh, the ideal is that the breath is the same all the time which um again uh, you know it's just something a narrative inserted into something where it doesn't really belong right um you know and finally okay just to end up on this uh, it's been a great conversation what about the uh, vinyasa or connecting things because sometimes i find when i go to the gym and do that stuff now i i miss the connectiveness of You know, I do one thing and then I do another thing. And I like the idea that there's a a kind of thread and people, you know, obviously people are hooked on the Ashtanga as a practice because there's this kind of thread throughout all the movements. Right. So how do you keep the thread in what you're doing now?
2: Well, like I said, there's still intuitive breathing. There's still bracing. Mm. There's still moments of I have to hold my breath here to make a certain movement happen or to have it happen in a stronger and safer way. So breathing is inevitably a part of everything that we're doing. I'm just not doing Akam, dway, Trini, counting breaths anymore. Mm. And I'm not cueing them <clears throat> because I honestly believe there's so much going on in what I'm teaching. Mm. And, and also I will say this, it's sort of like when I'm teaching, when I'm doing like hand drills and something like that, it, mm. it's quick, it's, it's intense. It's, you know. Right, it, so it's,
1: it's kind of thinking, what do you connect the movements together or their break and it's like weight or yeah
2: so i I don't know how to answer that but everything basically is timed you know Uh, there's some sort of time like we're going to do tuck jumps we're going to do tuck jumps for 20 seconds straight now one person might do five tuck jumps in 20 seconds while another person might do 10 so i'm not cueing their pace but i am giving them this is your time to work and this is your time to rest. And this is your time to work and there's your time to rest. And in a way, the timing of everything is that thread that would be very similar to to using inhale exhale. There's work Mm. rest, work rest, work rest, Mm. work rest. And that is to me a more effective way of number one, getting the job done because you have a plan and you have a time and you have a timer. So that's, it's a very effective, very efficient way of, of training. And it's also motivating because when you set a timer for anything, psychologically, you want to get it done before the timer. Is. So for instance, if you set a four minute timer and you say, I'm going to wash the dishes and here, and you know, that timer is going up, you're going to get it done within four minutes. So that's, so there's an, a psychology of using that. So that's, that's my method is that mm. I time it, mm. every little thing. <clears throat> um, but the other, the other side of that question is what, is, what does someone like you do when you go to a gym? And my advice coming from kind of both ends, being you know yoga background and now kind of into this I, more idea of strength and fitness, is that don't go in without a plan. The same way that you had a plan for your yoga practice, you know, sun salutation, standing posture, seated postures, and everything was laid out in front of you. Why should it be any different than when you walk into the gym? There is no better way to fail at something like strength training or having a program than not having it written down or having it memorized or knowing exactly what you're going to do when you go in there. So that's Mm. the way that you connect is that there is a plan in every single
1: time Mm, mm. in a certain way. Mm, mm. Okay. So bear that in mind when I go in and flail around, <laughs> just lifting heavy, lifting heavy things. Yeah, <laughs> whatever have a, I can get my hands on. Right. Oh, it's over there. I'll lift that now. <laughs>
2: right. No, it's much better, much, much better to have a plan. Yeah, it's I can see that. I can see that. It's probably a smart, smart yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, finally, I mean, you, 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 you know, just to finish up on, on a lighter note, you did mention the cold plunges. Is, are you doing, you know, and this has become very popular now, this um, cold, cold water therapy do you want to say anything about that just to finish off yeah. you No, know,
2: i i will say this i i was very um inspired by my friends in ireland when i was traveling and teaching a lot and and it was a, a person a couple people in ireland one is is organ mcadam and another is bill murphy who are in the uh, Blackrock area of london near dublin and i was doing a workshop near northern ireland in the Uh, Donegal region. Mm. And what I noticed, I was there for a week and I was teaching uh, normal Mysore or whatever. And then I would notice that there would be this group of people who would immediately leave and go off together and go somewhere. So I would say, well, what are you guys doing? Where are you running off to so fast? And they were all going to do this cold porch. And I was like, I heard of that. And I'm, you know, my father is Danish. I'm Danish, half Danish. So there's an Mm. element of cold exposure and sauna and things in that (laughs) in my blood kind of so it's not like something that I was totally unfamiliar with um but and then of course the popularity of Wim Hof and all that thing but um so anyway I, I was talking with them about what they were doing and Orla had some really really beautiful things to say about why she was cold plunging and I thought well one of the things she said was there's an instant connection you're in the now you're in this moment. So if you want this idea of well, I want samadhi, I want dhyana, I want I want meditation, you want all the benefits of the yoga, and essentially all these benefits can be had. Now there's a woman who's also Danish. Um, her name is Gosh. I hope I say her name right. Is Susanna Sober, who's now done the research to determine the op, the optimal amount of cold exposure for re- weeks. So hmm. What she's saying is. Well, you don't have to climb Mount Everest in your shorts or Kilimanjaro like Wim Hof did. You don't have to spend 45 minutes in an ice bath. Mm. But really what they've determined is that the optimal amount of cold exposure for a week best done over two or three days is 11 minutes, 11 minutes a week. So mm. over two days, you could do one five minute exposure and one six minute exposure right. and have all the benefits and that's it. And that's all you need for the week. So. Now my whole life has become what's optimal, right? Right, No more two hour Mm -hmm. yoga practices Mm. and no more, why should I sit in a 45 minute ice bath? I can do this in two minutes and get done and get out and great and have all the same benefits and the same elation, the same, all those things. So that's what I've been trying to follow. Of course, I'm not jumping into the Irish sea. Uh, so I'll, I'm doing cold showers and be, getting into nature whenever I, right. can. but the idea is okay. trying to hit that 11 minute mark every week.
1: Right. Yeah. I assumed they were going to the sea, and I was going to ask you yeah. like where you're finding it in the slightly warmer climate in which you live. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was doing, it, but as you say, I mean, I think you know, I'm fin- to to finish on this point, and it's the practicality of it is what works for you, you know, and finding something w- without kind of punishing yourself or sticking to certain guidelines because you ought to of actually what what works for you you know, in a practical daily life sense and not what you feel like oh you know I mean because you know I use the same ashtanga mentality unfortunately it's kind of ingrained so as I started the ice baths from the zibali and then I you know I got oh I was excited I did a couple of minutes I never thought I'd get there in a couple of minutes and then you know I noticed that I think well if I do four minutes it'll be better right can I stay here for six minutes you know and you know it can't starts to become this kind of self somehow self masochism creeps into the whole equation again rather than thinking well actually what you know what feels right and what feels relevant you know which is as you Say, like, after the first couple of minutes, it's like, that's probably enough, really. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, 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 and I agree. There, there's the, the, uh, the mentality of more is more, more is more is more. Mm, 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 There, mm. there's no, sometimes more is actually too much. (laughs) So, you you know, everything has a balance. And the idea is to learn what that is. And people are exercising and doing yoga way, way, way way too long. It's definitely not optimal. Yeah. So shorter, shorter bouts with higher intensity is definitely a more optimal, more uh, preferred way, more beneficial way of exercising, practicing, training, whatever you want to call it, versus what we have been taught.
1: Mm, mm. How long would you say your practice for optimal health will be now?
2: So it's the way that I look at it is very different now. So I do training in terms of skill and skill, like there's a documentary that, that um, is on Kenny G, the saxophone player, who says that he practices three hours a day. So if you think about that, okay, but it's a skill. He's not, so it's sort of like the difference between if you're a basketball player, just standing in one place and shooting three, you know, three pointers or free throws or layups, you're not expending the amount of energy practicing a skill that you would in doing a workout. So the way that I exercise, my actual intensity of exercise probably is no more. For instance, if I look at my workout today, which is actually written down next to me, the actual amount of intensity is five rounds at 15 seconds. So that's about Mm. two and a half minutes of intensity. Then I did another two minutes of intensity. So I'm at four and a half minutes. And then I did two rounds of of a minute and 20 seconds. So that was my exercise, but I did a six minute warmup. I did some other movements in between there that were kind of act, quote unquote, active rest. So the whole thing Mm. took me 25 minutes, but the actual moment of intensity was less than eight. So that's my exercise, but then can i then do a, one handstand and then time it and then do another and then do another that's to me like shooting free throws i'm not actually playing a scrimmage or a game or exercising or breaking the sweat or getting my heart rate up or taxing my muscles no so my actual exercise is always mm. going to be within that 30 minute period and then if I want to work on skills, I work on that as an extra, as a bonus, the same way that yeah. Kenny G would play the saxophone or or Larry Bird does the layup drills. I'm a- dating myself by saying yeah. Kenny G and Larry Bird, but that's fine.
3: So. <laughs>
1: yeah that's true very nice and and it's been a fantastic conversation so i mean really thanks for taking the time and i've really super enjoyed talking to you again And i know everyone's gonna love it so thanks again
3: Thank thank you